Hi, it's Dr. Craig Duncan, and you're listening to the Gold Bazaar Podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to a new Gold Bazaar Podcast. Um, today, we're joined um, by Dr. Craig Duncan, a former sports scientist for the Iranian national team under Carlos Kiros. Uh, he worked for the Iranian national team at the Asian Cup in 2019. Uh, joining me today on the panel um, uh, is Sina Saimion. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well, thank you, Arya. It's good to speak to you, and I'm looking forward to speaking to uh, Dr. Duncan as well. Dr. Duncan, how are you doing, my friend? I'm really well. How are you? Very good. I uh, really appreciate you coming on today. Um, you know, we've really tr- we've interviewed a couple, quite a few of the the national team uh, staff under Carlos Queiroz. We've had Marco Arrajani on, uh, Lopez, the goalkeeping coach. Um, it's it's really good to kind of get the kind of wee anecdotes that they kind of give us. Uh, but especially from your perspective, being working with the Australian national team in the past. Uh, the first question I'm going to start with you, though, just to get away from that. Sina, you're going to start off with that question, so um, we'll kick off. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really basic one to kick things off. Um, I just wanted you to kind of uh, go through your background and how did you get into football to begin with? And also, what does your role actually entail? Because there will be a lot of football fans that might not be too familiar with uh, the sports science um, kind of things, of, of especially in the last few years as we become more popular. So give us a little background in regards to that, please. Yeah, no problem at all. And thanks very much for having me on. It's a, it's a real pleasure. But uh, look, I I played football myself. And uh, so from there, um, when I realized I wasn't good enough to have a professional career, I studied sports science. So I went straight into studying sports science and did my undergraduate degree in sports science and then my postgraduate work. And then I have a, a PhD in sports science and then also I studied psychology as well and did postgraduate work in there and philosophy. So I have quite an extensive education background in the the field and then I apply it all to football. So then working extensively through professional football for the last 20 plus years uh, in Australia and then around the world. Um, so, yeah, so I've been been doing that for for quite a long time now. And um, I suppose sports science, what is it? Uh, it's really taking into account all aspects of the physical. And I probably extend out into the psychological uh, preparation of players. So I I probably even turn more from, from sports science into human performance. So I really focus on the entire integrated approach of, a, of the athlete performing on the pitch. Excellent. Uh, so one of the things that we kind of obviously saw from your biography, especially on your website, um, you obviously worked with the Western Sydney Wanderers. Uh, you obviously won the Asian Champions League with them in 2014. Can you can you go kind of go through that experience and kind of how uh, kind of obviously your first experience? I'm, I'm sure winning a, a big tro- a big uh, trophy. That right? Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I mean, I'd, I'd been involved in winning national competitions, but that was a, a big competition for uh, a team that had only been uh, started uh, a couple of years before then. So probably only uh, a year before had that that team been formed. So it's an incredible story. 
and it was such a uh, a long process to to get to those those games and particularly from the quarterfinal into the semifinal and into the final and it was with a very good coach Tony Popovich a young coach uh, at the time and so he just really led this team a hard working team that just you know really grinded out results based on having very good physical condition and uh, the the preparation was difficult because in actual fact, the season ends in Australia, and that's with the round of 16 game. And then you've got the gap in time leading into the quarterfinal, into the semifinal, and into the final. So it was very, very enjoyable, but also a very good staff there. The, this uh, fitness coach, Adam Watterson, was excellent as well. And I was advising them and helping with the program and helping where I could. And uh, you probably remember that second leg in Saudi Arabia, which was just incredible and an amazing goalkeeping performance uh, from a goalkeeper, Ante Kovic, I remember. And uh, so it was a very fortunate win, and you have to have luck in football, but I think well-deserved overall, but a, a great experience. And I think one that will be very difficult for any Australian team to do again in the future. Fantastic, and it's great to see that you've obviously done that. And, and then you obviously moved on. Uh, to the to the actual national team of Australia, uh, where you 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 were working um, with them at the Asian Cup in 2015, um, which they actually won. That and that was in their home the home home country. Yeah, I mean that was what a a great experience. You know, working I suppose for my country and look. Yeah, I wasn't involved in the 2014 World Cup. They they didn't have a good 2014 World Cup. It was a young team, but again, a very very good coach, uh, Ange Postacoglu, and he just really drove that team. I I remember clearly thinking, gee, you know, just to to work the way through the group stages. At no stage did I think that we could really win that tournament. But I suppose I never think like that. I'm always thinking you know, working just one game ahead and making sure the team is prepared physically as well as it could be. But, gee, it was a uh, – you wouldn't have thought that we could win that at the start. Uh, Iran were an outstanding team, Japan, South Korea, and we were fortunate. Um, we were fortunate Iran and Japan got knocked out early, uh, and then we played South Korea in the final and then won in extra time. And, and again, a very good – physically prepared side, hard-working side with a very good coach, and it was it was great. I mean, that was in my home city in front of 80,000 people, and to win in extra time uh, was was just a, an amazing story. So it was was very good, very, very enjoyable. Uh, we'll touch on the, the World Cup experience that you had as well, but just before that, I want to obviously speak to you a little bit more about the Asian Cup from an Iranian standpoint. Iran obviously were knocked out by Iraq um, and obviously one of the, the main talking points from that game was the, the referee uh, Benjamin Williams who had previously been uh, refereeing for us early on in the tournament, I think it was against Bahrain, Carlos Kiroch had a little bit of a spat with him and then we got him again in the later rounds, What what's your kind of your, your thought process on that? Well, I, I do know that he uh, his name is in uh, folklore and Iranian football uh, because I was I was asked many times about Ben Ben Williams when I worked uh, with Iran. Look, he 
look, he's not my favorite referee. In actual fact, I'll tell you a funny story. He's my 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 mum's least favorite referee. So look, he's uh, I I can't remember exactly what happened uh, for the Iran Iraq game. I know it was very controversial and. I, I can't say too much about it, but uh, I can probably understand the thoughts that uh, uh, the Iran people have about that referee. <laughs> Even though I must say he's he's a I will say this, that he is a he's a decent person. So that's that's a good thing, maybe. <laughs> you know, just a little things to tell you more about AFC's kind of organization skills in these situations. Um, oh. Obviously, after the, after the Iraq game and, and, and all the commotion, as you said, in regards to Ben Williams, he was then appointed to referee an Iranian club in the AFC Champions League four months later. Uh, it was Fulad, I think it was against Al-Sad of Qatar. And there was such a kind of huge backlash from, from the Iranian point of view that the AFC then had to remove him as, as, as a referee, which then begs the question, surely after that kind of performance, and you know the country's already kind of got those images still in their heads over that refereeing performance, why would you appoint him to referee the game in Iran for an Iranian club? But then again, that's, I think that says a lot more about AFC than, than about Williams himself. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, referees don't appoint themselves to games. So it is, I mean, you just think just even for the referee's safety in some respects. And yeah, so, I mean, yeah, like incredible. Uh, I didn't realise that. So, yeah, that was that was incredible. But uh, I mean, at the time, it was fortunate for Australia that Iran got knocked out. (laughs) I think actually Iran uh, Iran and Australia were the only... Uh, I think out of the major countries that had a sense of continuity where Australia had Postacoglu prior to the World Cup and of course with the Asian Cup being only six months later and mm. Iran had Kairos where I think uh, South Korea and Japan had both appointed new managers so um, I assume that would have helped Australia as well you know not, not having to deal with a new manager new new kind of staff coming in and try and prepare for, a, for an Asian Cup on home soil with only what, four or five mon- months in hand. Yeah, even though actually I only came in two months before um, the Asian Cup, uh, I was I was lucky that I actually knew a lot of the uh, a lot of the staff already there. But I only came in in that FIFA window in November, so we had to do a lot of work between then and and January and to to really get right. So. Um, it, yeah, it wasn't easy, and but things just fell in our place. And in tournaments, the secret is, is to try and stay as fresh as possible and, and to f- stay physically as good as possible. And I think that's that's really enhanced that situation for us in 2015. And, of course, you stayed with the team after the Asian Cup triumph, mm. and you went on to uh, obviously help the team not just reach the 2018 World Cup, but you were involved in, uh, in the actual tournament as well. So... It seems like it was a longer-term project for yourself, of course, being with the team for for almost four years. So how how did that feel? Yeah, look, I I really wanted to do one cycle, like a complete cycle for a World Cup. It was was incredible. And you know, uh, qualifying in Asia is is difficult. You have those first round of matches and where we played in Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan and Bangladesh. And they seem like easy games, but they're not because you've got so many different travel uh, issues and and like Iran, Australia, majority, nearly all Australian players play in Europe. So you've always, even 
even home games are like away games. So you've got to contest with travel, difference in climate, and, and Asia's very, very strong. So it was a difficult campaign, and we didn't get through. Uh, you know, uh, Japan and Saudi got through as number one and two, and then we got that that place where we then had to play Syria, and we, we played Syria home and away, or the home game was in Malaysia for them, and then we played them at home, and we were lucky to win in extra time. And in actual fact, their, their striker had a free kick, the last kick of the game, and hit the post, and we would have been gone on away goals. So it was was very difficult, and that Syrian team, I think, had come off playing a run. And then we had to go to Honduras, and Honduras was an extensive travel and i mean that's my field you know the travel the sleep adapting to climates and all that and getting the players right to perform but to get to honduras was was a very difficult experience had a nil nil result there and then came back and it was still nil nil at half time and then fortunately we got three second half goals and were able to go through to the 2018 world cup so that was again exciting in front of uh, in my hometown uh, to qualify was was wonderful, and then to go to Russia was 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 good. Um, even though that was an interesting one because Postacoglu stopped coaching us before the World Cup, so we got a new coaching staff, uh, Bert Van, Va- uh, Van Marwick, who had taken Holland to the World Cup final in I think it was 2010, and. He, he was great and his team were, were great to work with and I still stay in contact with them to this day. And things could have gone better at that World Cup. We we lost 2-1 to France when they scored a, a late goal in the 80th plus minute. Uh, we probably should have beaten Denmark where we had a 1-1 uh, result and then we went down to Peru 2-0. But I think that could have been different if the game against Denmark had gone differently. But that, they're World Cups, aren't they? You, you, they're, they're difficult and you, you need to take your opportunities when they come. Maybe one of the bright spots of that World Cup for Australia was, of course, the the addition of Daniel Arzani, who obviously is from of Iranian descent, a uh, player who now plays in my hometown, actually, in Glasgow, Celtic. Um, how 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 is your kind of experience with him? Look, I've had a I've had a lot to do with Daniel. Uh, in actual fact, before the 2018 World Cup, before the team was chosen, I think they chose a squad of 26, and he was part of that. And the season had finished, so I spent he spent three weeks with me, just working with me, pretty much one on one. He's a he's a fantastic kid i mean he's only young he's he's a good person he's a good character he comes from a lovely family and uh, he's highly intelligent i think and and he's a he's a very good player but i think he has a lot to work on in respect to his his uh physical uh component of his game and i think that's where it's gonna gonna be the difference for him he and you would know uh, what happened in, at Celtic, he, in his first uh, actual appearance, I think, for the first team, where he came there and they didn't think he was physically ready. They finally got him ready and his first appearance for the first team, he ruptured his anterior uh, uh, cruciate ligament, so he had a year off. And he has actually not pay, played for a very long time now. So he really has not 
played very much since the 2018 World Cup. I noticed the other day that he's been back uh, in Australia and he's on his way back to Europe, but I think his loan spell has finished with Celtic. So as with all young players, the next next little while is going to be very, very important for him to see how he, how he goes. But I do think he's got all the skill, but the modern football game, you need to be physically right as well. And uh, so there's a little bit of work for him to do there. And I know he's working hard at that. And I hope, I do hope for him that he has a very good career because he's a, he's a very good character and very that's, proud that's... Iranian. Can I say that too? He's, he's a very proud Iranian, um, even though he chose, you know, he's played for Australia and that he's proud of his Iran heritage and, as are all the Iran people I know, because there's quite a number of them in Australia. In actual fact, my neighbour is from Iran. So, yeah, so we we have quite a quite a number of Iranians in, in my city. He's a, he's a young kid as well, as you said, and hopefully he'll uh, he'll recover from the injury, because as you said, it's, it's been a long time. And the fact the city obviously brought him in uh, shows how much they believe in his in his talents and again with probably another loan move or two um he'll not just regain the form that he had but develop into a player that we we think he can be on my uh, yes my mm. course i'm on just now uh one of the players from celtic johnny hayes who played for ireland he, he was i was speaking to him about how arzani is getting on and he was saying obviously he, he's from man he's at man city just now he'll go back there but one of the things that he was saying is like technical ability of Arzani is one of the best at the club. And that's that club where they've got like players like James Forrest and Ryan Christie, some top players. But, you know, to say that, that from a guy like Johnny Hayes who's played at national team level, to say that he's got a really high level of technical ability, it's a great, you know, so it's really, and it's obviously something that Man City have seen in him, that they've signed him from Australia. Yeah, I look I, and and I've seen that close up. Uh, look, I, I I'm I'm a little bit tough on Daniel because I believe in him so much and I I really like him so much and uh I've I've been quite strong with him. You know, even even to this day I'll I'll write to him about getting himself physically right. And and look, he's going to have enough people advising that, him that now. And if he gets that right, he'll he'll be a sensational player. Of course, after the uh, World Cup ended, then then you left your role with the um, Australian national team, and then, as we know, you uh, started working with um, the Iranian national team ahead of the um, 2019 Asian Cup. Um, how did that role come about? Um, were you already in contact with Carlos Queiroz or his staff, or was it something that, like was there an introduction made by by a kind of a mutual? Uh, well, I, I'd been in contact with them for a fair while because one of my very good friends is uh, Mick McDermott, who has been an assistant of Carlos and worked with Carlos for for a number of years and then went back in and worked with Iran at the World Cup. And so Carlos was there. <clears throat> oh, sorry, uh, Mick was working with Carlos. And so we started um, speaking about that. And that they had... Uh, um, a good sports science and sports medicine team. Uh, Diego from uh, Argentina was there and um, some fantastic people from Portugal as well, well working for the team. Um, great physiotherapist, Mikhail. Uh, and 
and a really good coaching staff in general. So um, it, it was just the, the conversation that for, a, you know, for a big tournament like that, that there was the opportunity for me to add some value, you know, to help the, the performance team. And I jumped at the opportunity. Uh, and so that was, that was how it came about. Yeah. And how did the 2019 Asian Cup go? Obviously, you were involved in the team. As we know, we, we ended up getting knocked out by, by Japan in that uh, infamous game, losing 3-0. Yeah. Um, but before the tournament, and even as the tournament started, Iran was touted to be the favourites. And of course, with the results going um, so well, we were expecting Iran to reach the final. How, how was it looking from the psychological point of view? And of course... It's, I mean, it might be the uh, kind of the responsibility of the coaching staff to keep the players on the ground and, and make sure they don't kind of get too complacent. But, but how how did you get involved in that side of things and preparing uh, the team? Because obviously, considering the games come thick and fast, um, and mm. as you mentioned earlier, it's, it's kind of your responsibility to make sure they're always fresh and, and up to the game. But um, tell us a little more about that and, and, of course, in the tournament as well. Yeah, well, it started... Uh, we started early and we were based in Qatar and uh, we had a very, very good uh, preparation, very hard, hard working preparation uh, with the team. I was most impressed with all aspects of the team uh, from the personalities and the character and the willingness to work. And Carlos Quiros is an absolute incredible coach incredible mentor and incredible leader that those players uh, just from my view adored and he knew those players so well and knew how to prepare them for everything and lead them for whatever needed to be done and also to lead his staff I don't think I've ever worked harder uh, than I did for those eight weeks I, I can't remember having much sleep because that's how Carlos works there is no detail that he leaves unturned and I've worked with a lot of coaches around the world but this is a, was even a different level for myself so that was a complete joy uh, Qatar was was a great place to prepare we prepared well they were physically good and then you put what you need to do and what I sort of specialize in is monitoring players and monitoring them on a daily basis from a physiological and psychological perspective and then I really come up once we have enough data is to identify where their optimal performance zone is and then where they are in that zone so that's very important when you're playing multiple games in a tournament to identify that zone and then try and keep them at their optimum in their optimal performance zone at all times because you've got to play these multiple games regularly uh, and you don't have much break and so you put processes in place and we collect data that keeps us uh, so we know so my job is to create insight for the coach so he knows which players are coping with the the strain physiologically psychologically so that they can perform at all times so you do this basically with some testing and some technology and then keeping eyes on the game data and seeing what's actually happening and they were in really good shape. Uh, they obviously by the semi-final, uh, there is some some fatigue in in some of those players, and but that's across the tournament. But I was very comfortable where the players were. I think when we got to the semi-final, we hadn't had a goal scored against us, and 
I still, I mean, you might ask me more questions about that semi-final, but we went into that. I, I still think that was the final. Um, I don't think, I do not think we would have lost to Qatar if that was going to be the final. I think um, we played Qatar just before, on New Year's Eve, actually, and uh, we beat them there. And I, I look, you can't say it was a very good Qatar side, but very much. We weren't thinking like that. We're thinking one game at a time. Japan, very difficult game, prepared very well for it. Even that's what you do. You prepare for each game. Every opponent has respect and you respect that opponent because there is no easy games in world football at any level. And you just take take time and time and, you know, uh, as, as it goes on. So no players were getting ahead of themselves. No chance. Not with Carlos Curas. <laughs> not with Carlos Curas. And uh, the players were very focused. Uh, this is really fascinating stuff. And, and on the back of it, I just have two questions for you, and I'm going to hand you over to, to Aria. Um, mm. Firstly, you, you've worked with, I'd say, three or four of the best performing managers in Asia in the last 10 years. Of course, you mentioned Popovich mm. with that amazing achievement with uh, Western mm. City Wanderers. Um, of course, you worked with Andrzej Postacoglu, who I believe is probably one of the most underrated managers uh, across the continent with, with the achievements that you had uh, with the Australian national team. And of course, with Van Marwijk and, and Kairos as well. And we always ask the questions in terms of what is the difference between these managers. But what I want to ask you is, what did you find that is consistent between all these four managers that is kind of the characteristics that a successful manager should have? Look, I think one thing is that they believe in their philosophy and they will stick to their philosophy. And and they will lead the men in in that respect. They uh, like Ange Postacoglu. I think he was the only one that thought we could win the Asian Cup in 2015. And and then he will lead the team into that. I think uh, uh, Tony Popovich is very single-mindedly focused, and he pulls people along with him. But then you have a Carlos Quiros, which no disrespect to any other coach, but that's a different level. You've got a, you've got a, uh, you've nearly got a football philosopher there, uh, someone that will, a football artist. And I watched him a number of times, looking at the tactics board, and just looking at it like an artist looked at, looks at a painting and then might make a stroke with a, a paintbrush and, and then adjust it and then sit back and uh, I. Uh, Carlos Quiros is beyond a football coach. He's a wonderful man and he knows the game intellectually so well. Remembering that he started the football uh, coaching degree at the University of Lisbon, which all the famous Portuguese coaches were his students. I mean, this is a man that coached uh, Portugal, the the under 20s, uh, you know, to World Cup success and then coached the Portuguese national team. He was a coach educator. So it was someone that that knows the game intellectually and then has the ability to lead. Uh, he's I, For me, uh, and no disrespect to who takes over Iran in the future, Carlos Quiros is irreplaceable as the national coach of Iran at that level. Look, there might be great coaches, and maybe that's a, a big statement. But I'm not sure if everyone there maybe realised <laughs> what sort of person that they had in control. And this comes from someone that only spent a couple of months 
there. Um, <clears throat> but I could see, and I've had a lot of experience around the world working with multiple coaches. And uh, Carlos Quiros will always be a standout for me. Um, and just saying that also with Ange Postacoglu, he just won the, the J-League with Yokohama um, last season, which was an incredible result for an Australian coach. And you said he was underrated. He's an outstanding, outstanding coach. Um, but yes, Carlos, Carlos is just a, a leader of men. Uh, those players would do anything for him. They were tactically well-versed. They understood and he was there leading every session. That's the thing that you don't often see uh, with some some coaches. Are they on the pitch all the time? Carlos Quiros yeah, is on the pitch all the time. All the time. And do you know what one thing that stands out to me? That I see this multiple times. <clears throat> and this is the intelligent. He's highly intelligent too. The session post-game in a tournament is it's not a fun session because you've got all the players that have played, they're in recovery. Okay, so they're doing recovery. They've had the game and that sort of stuff. You've got the other players that have suited up and have been ready and have not played. And so they need to go out and do a training session, which is obviously going to be quite tough because it has to make up some of the training uh, load that has to replace what the game was. Most coaches don't do that session. Most head coaches don't do that session. Do you know what? That's the session that Carlos was most active in because he was saying to those men, he would be there. We were all there because he'd be there saying, you mean a lot to me, so much to me that I'm going to be here running this session. That's one thing that stands out, you know, with with a Carlos Kyrus, because he knows who do you need in the tournament. If something someone breaks down, you're going to need those men. And those men are not happy, are they? Because they're not playing. They think they should be playing. They want to play. You've got to have hungry players in those positions. And so he's there leading them the day after a game. When I've seen that's not always the case with a lot of head coaches. <clears throat> Absolutely. Well, that, that was uh, some fantastic words that you just put in there. And I actually agree with you as well. Uh, I coach myself, and one of the things I see from even just to, even you know smaller clubs in Scotland, for example, you're right. People leave the sort of easy stuff to the you know the coaches, the assistant coaches, and then they do their own stuff when it comes to the big matches or, or the or the important parts. And you're right. Like it, it is something that Carlos Queiroz did that I think grabbed the attention of the players. Maybe not so much, uh, you know, when we had the uh, Branko Ivankovic, not, not to put hate on anyone, but it's just a case of the difference of quality of coach. You know, what kind of importance does he put on his players? You're absolutely right. Go on. I'll tell you something. another. Can I, can I share with you another experience sure. that sticks with me? Sure. We, and, and you know, being Iranian uh, and the Iranian national team, it's different. And there's different, uh, securities that go around working with the Iranian national team. There's different uh, cultural issues that go around, you know, when you work with the Iranian national team. Um, so, for instance, we had a game. I can't remember which one it was, uh, but I think the kickoff was three o'clock or, or two o'clock or three o'clock. It was a different time and it was normally the time when the, the players are, are used to napping and having a nap and having a sleep in the afternoon. 
And I, I, you know, as a performance team, we discussed this and said, well, we need to change this dynamic because you want to adjust the sleeping patterns a couple of days out from the game because you don't want to be kicking off at three o'clock when you're normally sleeping at that time. So you need to adjust the the uh, circadian rhythm or um, of the or the body clock, as we call it, for the players to be ready. So I said this to Carlos, and it's not easy with the Iranian national team that you can't just go out uh, and organise something really quick because of the different security measures. So we came up with the concept that basically we just needed them awake to be alive. It didn't need to necessarily be playing football or anything like that, but we wanted them awake and be doing something. So we came up with this concept of... We'd have a trivia competition and a table tennis competition. And just so that there was a wake, it was lively at the game time. And then this was before, like, you have game day minus one where you're actually going to train and all that sort of stuff. So normally when you put that something on like that, it would be the performance guys that run that. Okay, so and you wouldn't even see the head coach. You wouldn't even maybe see the assistant coach. But no, who do you think? is running the trivia who do you think is running the table tennis it's carlos Quiros. <laughs> of course in the center of it and this is this is a coach with that pedigree uh and he's in his 60s with an extensive experience but this is the difference that every young coach could uh could learn from and I often shake my head and see other young coaches not putting in that and not seeing that. And do you think the players don't notice that? The players notice this man doing this. So then what does that turn out to? They're going to play for a player. They're going to play for a coach that has their back and is always there for them. So that's that's the, the difference of a Carlos Quiros. It's really fascinating. I hope the people who are listening to this podcast right now are really... <laughs> I mean, it's, it's fantastic what you just said. It's one of the things that we, we, we kind of knew that he was he put the effort in. We kind of knew he had that kind of work work ethic to put in for that. But we didn't, we didn't know it that that in that much detail. So, you know, it's great that you shared it with us. Um, but kind of one of the things that I really want to ask you, because obviously... You were only there for I think it was like a was it like a four months with the national team. But who who really out of the players who mm. like really stood out to you like in terms of a psychological standpoint or a physical standpoint who really caught your eye? Oh. can I say I'll tell you one thing. All of them straight away caught my eye of how physically and psychologically strong they are. I just was like. Oh my goodness! I, as a as an Australian, I didn't really want to play Australia in the competition because I I just didn't want to. You, you don't really. But you know what? As the tournament was going on, I thought, oh, this could could actually happen. And I I just thought to myself, the difference in the physical nature of these players uh, com- compared to what I'd seen before, um, I thought was quite extensive. I was really uh, very, very strong uh, players, very competitive. Uh, every session was competitive, psychologically very strong, always wanting to train. That was one of the things to hold the players back to to keep them fresh. Who stood out? Well, I mean, how can you go past Sadar? I mean, what a player Sadar Azmoun is. Um, is just incredible. Uh, Mehdi Taremi, incredible player. 
but then you've got uh, Masood, the uh, captain. What a what a man he is! Uh, look, he didn't play that much in the in the tournament, but just a, a wonderful man and uh, a wonderful person. Uh, Ashkan had a wonderful tournament then. Um, look, I I I feel bad if I'm leaving. Uh, players out. Um, Are there any young players that you maybe thought about that maybe were kind of not as experienced? Any someone that was kind of just joining, maybe that you thought really showed themselves? No. Well, look, he he ended up not making the the team, and I'm not sure how he's going now because he he had an injury. Um, but Golly, what's his full name? Um, and he plays in Belgium. What is that? Yes, yes. I mean, he he. I, no, I'm not sure how he's progressing, but he's he is some incredible. He's doing really uh, well. He's doing really yeah, well. Yeah, he's he's an incredible player. Um, uh, I'm, I'm just trying to think. They were they were also, you know, so hardworking and so so good. Not to put you um, on the spot or anything like that. <laughs> pardon? Not, not not to put you on the spot, but it's just uh, yeah, it's I, I mean, the other one I was very impressed with was the goalkeeper. Um, he, he, I think is, and I'm not sure how, again, he's progressed, but I think, has he just, is, is he just signed with a team in Belgium? Yeah. So he'll, he'll be moving to Antwerp uh, in July, hopefully, if it gets sorted out. Yeah. Well, I, I think he's, I think he's probably the best goalkeeper in Asia from what I saw. I thought, I thought he was, was incredible. Um, but yeah, there, there was. Better than Matty Ryan. Ah, that's a really, it's an interesting one. I think Matty Ryan is, is Matty Ryan's better than Bayron. It's because I, he's one of my favourite keepers in the Premier League. He, he I, had look, a bit of an error last week, but other than that, I think as, as far as shots look, are concerned, I, I think he's really good. Yeah, look, yeah, look, I think Matty Ryan is an is an outstanding keeper, outstanding person as well. So, so let's say, okay, and and, uh, uh, but I think. Um, yeah, I, I, I think potentially uh, equal to to Matty Ryan. I, I, I think so. I think he has something. It just depends if he can go on to that next level. That's the, that's the thing. But Matty has been fantastic at Brighton, so it's hard to, hard to say. And he has really uh, stepped uh, forward in the last couple of years. But I was most impressed with the goalkeeper. Um, but yeah, I, I think there was there's a lot of potential and there's a lot of young players coming through that. Uh, you know, are going to be there um, for an extensive amount of time. I think Iran's going to be strong. The question that I've got for you, um, Doctor, is, uh, again, going back to the sports science uh, kind of subjects, how much do you think this has been exploited or kind of looked into in Asia as a whole? I know you've only worked with Australia and the Iranian national team, but do you think it's something that should be uh, kind of considered more seriously across, uh, across the continent as a whole? Because I, I don't think... Uh, a lot of countries are looking into it uh, and kind of making the most out of it as, as much as they should be, or at least in comparison with Europe and, and European clubs and countries. Yeah, 100%. And also, let me say, there's sports science and then there's sports science. Uh, there's, there's sports science uh, that is okay, and then there is sports science that can make a real difference. And that's, the, that's what I think Asia requires. And there's a lot of teams that could be far superior if they were managed really well in respect to like a holistic human performance perspective. 
because there is travel, there is heat, there is some of these emerging countries. If they got a really good sports science uh, program in, they got their players physically right, they had them strong, fit, uh, psychologically right. If that was all managed, that it would make it. They would make great grounds moving forward. I, I believe like the Thailands, the Vietnam, the Malaysia, all these teams could progress extensively. But I will also say I do believe the teams such as Japan could progress. Um, <clears throat> in saying that, I, I've started working with a J-League team, coaching, a, um, sorry, consulting to a J-League team and putting our monitoring system in there, which hasn't been done before. So managing the fatigue of those players using, see, a lot of countries use GPS, but do they use a GPS right to to really analyse players and to make a real difference? So I, I think a, a lot of these countries through Asia, and I will say through the world, can, with top-level sports science, really progress, And uh, but particularly in Asia. I would like to see, see that happen. Um, I would like the AFC to do something about that, especially for the lower level nations to we we could come out and offer them something and just education to make it better. Look, I know even in Iran that uh, some wonderful people from the universities there write to me and I know that they are doing good things, but there could be more education just to just to uh, help and, and to show ways that haven't been shown before. So for instance, like I've been using GPS since 2002 and Australia has always been a leader in sports science because we've had to be, you know, it's one area, you know, to, to minimize the risk of injury and maximize performance. So, so we've had very good educational programs throughout the years here. So yeah, I, I absolutely believe it's one area that could be improved uh, throughout the Asian region. I think to put, put, just to put that into context as well, you mentioned GPS. That was, as far as I'm aware, it was officially introduced to the national team setup by Kiros. So you're talking after 2011, whereas you said yourself, you know, that was maybe looked into and used in Australia from 2002, which, again, it, it, I think for me shows how far behind Iranian football were in, in, in that side of things prior to Kiros uh, uh, coming in. Uh, and again, it shows how far He's, he's took the national team and, and just our football altogether. Oh, yeah, uh, abs- absolutely. And I mean, the other thing is you've never seen work ethic like a Carlos Curas. And, and the way he drives his stuff, <laughs> the, the boys, they just work so hard. You know, the, I mean, he's coaching staff who are fantastic, uh, fantastic staff, all of them. And uh, yeah. Was yeah, very very good people involved. I mean, that's that's why one thing that the Iranian people should know that how just passionate the staff were for that Iran national team. And I'm in uh, regular contact with the head of physio Mikhail, uh, that is now with Colombia with Carlos and Joe, that uh, was his analyst, uh, and all the staff that are around, and they all still talk and have uh, such passion for Iran. And uh, that's, a, that's a nice thing. 
Have you got any other interesting stories or experiences during that period, whether it's with Carlos Queiroz or the team as a whole uh, that you have well, well, I suppose the, the thing that really hit me was the support, um, just how passionate the Iranian people uh, were and how still to this day uh, Iranian people write to me. And I, and I was with the team such a relative short time, but I was so proud to actually do the work uh, for Iran. Um, I, I just realised that. But there, there's another thing that stands out in my mind. I think, was it the round of 16 game when we played, a, was it Amman? I think we played Amman in the round of 16. Yes, uh, and, and they, they the quarterfinals. Yeah. yeah, and and they got a penalty in the first two minutes. Do you remember that? And um, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm sitting there thinking, okay, so they've they've got a penalty in the first two minutes. They score. We've we've got a long period of time, and and we'll be okay. But I was sitting near the manager, and I think uh, Iranian manager, and. Um, uh, a lovely man and a couple of the Iranian staff, you know, so the Iranian uh, crew that were sitting near me. Anyway, uh, the penalty's taken and and it was a fantastic save. So he saves, saves. I turn to my right and I see the Iranian uh, staff with tears coming down their face. And I went to myself, wow, this this passion for this nation uh, is is beautiful. You know, it means so much to them, and and I I realised that I had that, but that really stuck with me, just how important that was, and it still makes me feel, uh, you know, just uh, it was very fortunate for me to be involved in that. I wish we could have won the tournament for the people of Iran, uh, which would have just been a wonderful story, but. Uh, that was that was it, and the passion, I think, where I was more thinking, okay, if it goes in, we've got a period of time, just just focus on that. But that that was a that was a really nice thing I saw. Oh, thank you so much for sharing these stories. It was, uh, it's something that we kind of we've always wanted to hear, and it's it's brilliant that it's kind of come from someone who's obviously been closely working with the national team for a in a in a, in a tournament, like the Asian Cup. Um, and we've got a few more questions before we kind of go on to the, the fan questions. Um, one of the things I just, just want to ask you uh, is about your, your your kind of thoughts on the national team in the future. Obviously, we've, we've brought in Dragon Scottish, the Croatian coach, um, a guy who's obviously worked in Iran for a number of years. What what do you think? How do you think Iran will go on from now from from now on? Look, I I don't know um, much about the coach. Um, so I, I wish him the best of luck. Uh, and uh, I, I actually just looked him up the other day just to look uh, some of his background. Um, and it seems uh, quite positive and, and I wish him all the, all the best. I do know uh, working for any federation has its difficulties. <laughs> and the Iran Federation, I'm sure they were very kind to me and very nice. <laughs> but I'm sure... It needs a very strong coach to, you know, to get things things done. There's always there was always difficulties working with federations, and also it's a group of players that are very respectful and uh, but very good, and they that team deserves the very best. Like because an Iran team, 
under a very, very good coach like Carlos. You can just see in the 2018 World Cup, if a few things went a different way, you, you can think how far can Iran go? Um, so, so those sort of things. So I look, the players, the pedigree of the players um, is, is there. Um, so I, I think it will be just interesting to see, see how it does go over the next little period of time. And so what's next for you then, uh, Dr. Craig uh, Duncan? Um, what kind of things are we expecting from you in your future uh, as, a, as a sports scientist? Well, look, I, I really, uh, our, the focus I really do now is, is consult to a number of teams around the world. And I really enjoy that. I really enjoy the education component of like coming into nations and trying to help the people in those nations to be better in the sports science field. Uh, and most recently, I've been um, working with a Japanese team, Shimizu S Pulse, and and rather than going there and uh, you know, bringing foreign uh, people in, uh, working with those the staff that's already there and trying to help them to be the best they can be, and if there's any knowledge I can give to them to help that. So I do that, but. Uh, we have a couple of teams in Australia we also work with, and uh, there's there's quite a lot going on for me. But I'm always looking for when, if it's a if it is a national team or if it's another another team, there are projects that I I do enjoy. I I like to be with a team at like the Asian Cup or a World Cup. So it just depends what's going on. I still stay in contact very much with Carlos and the and the staff there and help them where I can uh, at Columbia. But but who knows what happens in the future? Um, I, I do uh, I do like a, a challenge and I, I do like working for a nation. It's, I, I, I like I do like international football. So, yeah, and but it has to be the right nation. <laughs> Absolutely. Just before, uh, sorry, just before you, you go on to uh, the fan question, I'd just like to uh, ask you about the Australian national team, of course, with Graham Arnold now being in charge. Um, how do you think they're developing? Um, of course, he's only been with the team uh, recently, but I know he's got past experience of being in the national team setup. But how, how are you finding that development between the two of them? Uh, look, I think it's. Uh, I think they progressed okay during this period of time. They they had a a poor Asian Cup. Uh, I think we have to be honest there. If you you come off 2015 winning an Asian Cup and then you get knocked out in the quarterfinal, and they're actually lucky it was only because of Matt Ryan that they got through to the quarterfinal. So they could have gone in the round of 16. I think they got through on penalties. I think they really struggled uh, at that Asian Cup. Uh, he, he's been a very good club coach uh, and I think he's doing uh, some good things they're promoting different players and and that sort of sort of stuff um, look it's for any coach for the Australian national team it's difficult Asia is just difficult uh, and it depends what who comes in their group in the, the next next uh, phase once they get through this phase but I uh, Look, he's a good coach. There's a good staff there. There's there's still very good players, and there's good players up and coming. But I just know Asia's getting more and more difficult. So, as an Australian, of course, I I hope 
I hope for the best and that we qualify for 2022. We qualified for the Olympics, so they did a good job, Graham Arnold and, and his staff did a good job to, to get that team to the Olympics. So that's that's a positive step. I suppose we'll just have to wait and see. But it's a hard job, and I think Australians need to understand it's a it's a difficult job um, for for any coach. So let's let's see how they how they progress. Um, just before we go on to the, the the fan questions, obviously you have your own podcast as well. Um, mm. Can you give us a little bit of a talk about that as well? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, please, uh, if anyone wants to listen, it's just the, the Dr. Craig Duncan podcast. Most of it's just a, a few minutes and it's uh, a bit about philosophy and a bit about life. Uh, but then I do do some interviews. I've just started doing interviews. So with uh, I, I recently had John Aloisi on, which was uh, an Australian player, uh, certain coaches that I've had on and uh there's different people that I have on that I interview, but a lot of it is just this real focus on just being the best person you can be. Uh, I've got a book coming out. Actually, I didn't say that. Uh, I, I created this philosophy called self-science, which is basically a study of you by you. So it's about individuals just being the best they can be and not being a spectator to their life. Uh, and being involved in decisions in their life, be it their exercise, their nutrition, how they sleep, how they work, every part of life. So it's just not for, very much just not for athletes. It's for for every every person. And uh, I have a real interest in that area of not only seeing players perform, because I think I've been at the cutting edge of human performance in respect to players how to get them right to play at every opportunity. But you know what? All of us have to perform in life, be it our job, be it whatever it is. And I think I'm very focused on helping where I can for people to live the best life they can possibly can. And it doesn't matter about what circumstances that they have to be how be able to look at things positively to take one step in front of the other. And I know uh, spending time in Iran, there's a, there's difficulties there. There's difficulties for people, but such great people there. And, and even for, for those people, whatever, whatever is there, however difficult life is to make the most of what, what we have and be involved in that. So that's my my area that I'm very very passionate about. And yeah, my so I've got a book coming out. Sorry, I keep forgetting that. I'm not good at promoting things. <laughs> but yeah, when is it going to be out? Do you have a release date? Um, it's with the publisher now, so I hope in the next few weeks. Uh, Tim Cahill, uh, the famous Australian, he he wrote the forward for that. And uh, so. Hopefully, let's say that it should be out by the latest September. <laughs> I'll definitely. I've, I've listened to a few of your podcasts. If if anyone's interested, check it. Is it on your website that we can uh, find it? Yeah, you can go if you go to drcraigduncan.com.au yeah. and just hit podcast. You'll find uh, find the podcast there. Yeah, and they can also find you on Twitter at and Instagram as well. Yeah, and yeah. and that's where uh, I still stay in contact with a lot of Iranian people on Instagram. They're fantastic, yeah. and that's just at Dr. Craig Duncan. So please, uh, please do that because they're always, yeah, just yeah. yeah. 
So the final questions we actually have from Instagram as well. One of the fans have asked us, his name is Nima. Um, He's asked, uh, what amazed you the most about the national team vibe? If that's a bit of a a, a weird question. How proud they were to play for a run. Yeah. And how how passionate uh, they were to play for their, their country. And um, it really made me feel very good in this modern age where I do think and I do see that a lot of people, it seems to be a lot of players play for themselves. Uh, they, they were very, very, very proud to play for their country and the people of, of Iran. Excellent. And final question is on the, the Iranian media. Uh, anything you've got to say on that? particularly, especially with the Asian Cup, you know, how, how it affected the players? Yeah, look, uh, I mean, there was a huge amount of media, and I suppose that's another thing that someone said to me. I think there's 80 million Iranians, and, and uh, when Iran, the Iran national team play, they said to me maybe 50 million are watching it, and it's it's very important. Um, <clears throat> look, I can't speak Farsi, so I don't always know what's going on, and, and I'm always very focused on, on my job and, and not getting involved in that. So I know... Um, Carlos uh, had to handle a lot of that media, so I'm not really aware if it was how positive it was um, or or whatever. I mean, I never felt, uh, you know, I, I mean, I only found people being positive to me. Uh, I just wish, I still think <clears throat> that that game against Japan was was nil nil at half time. If ever a game I thought might go to extra time, it was was that one. I remember Sadar had a great opportunity. If you remember, the goalkeeper just stuck his leg out in the in that first half, and then after half time we had um, that circumstance, that first goal where the players thought that the referee was called called a foul, um, and they surrounded him, and it was play on, and they scored that goal, and then there was a controversial penalty. I mean, straight after that goal, I think uh, Ali Jumbush he had a free kick that got saved in the top corner. Um, and then they got the penalty when uh, uh, our player was on the ground sliding. I think that was controversial. And then and then like, there was a last goal in extra time when the game was, was gone. So it was a really frustrating, difficult, difficult result for us, I, I think, because Japan were very good that day. I'm not saying that we should have won, but I do think... I think it it deserves something better than that, and maybe maybe extra time uh, it could have gone to. But again, <laughs> it was an Australian referee. Do you remember? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, you're yeah, absolutely. To be honest, right. I, I I still haven't watched that game. I can audio. You know as well. There's there's a lot of games Iran has had, certainly in our lifetime anyway. That uh, it wasn't. And the result was really disappointing and heartbreaking, you know, whether it's the Messi goal, you know, against uh, Argentina in the World Cup or even going further back, China in the uh, 2004 Asian Cup. I've, I've watched highlights from all those games throughout the years. The one game I still haven't watched and I will not go back and rewatch any part of it is that defeat to Japan uh, in the 2019 Asian Cup. And I don't think I, I have plans of going uh, to watch it anytime soon either. Yeah, yeah. And, and the devastation of... 
losing that game was was significant for the players. Oh, it really was just devastating, and and for Carlos, uh, I, I if I yeah, and and I don't want to take anything away from Japan. I'm not I'm not saying they were good that day, um, but gee, I think Sadar scores in that first half. We're not losing that, and um, I still think it was just very controversial. And I will say I, I brought it up with. Uh, Mikhail, who was the the head physio, and he said he still has nightmares over that game. <laughs> so, I actually uh, asked uh, I asked one of the the referee um, educators here in, in Scotland. I asked him about the the penalty incident that I think probably Ganju's handball and when he fell on the ball and it kind of went behind him. Uh, I asked him, I showed him the incident. He said that 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 would not have been a penalty in Scotland. So it's just you know it's one of those things <laughs> that you know it happens. It happens, unfortunately. Yeah. Iran get and he and he went to three. and he had a look at it. I mean, he had yeah, a look at VAR and gave a penalty. I mean, I I do remember clearly uh, in the warm up and seeing the referee walk out and it and I know the referee like uh, as an Australian referee and it took my breath away. I had a look at him and he looked at me and I went, oh my goodness. <laughs> and, I, and, uh, and I think the, the Iranian people thought not an Australian referee. And then sure enough, it was a little bit controversial, but, but all in all up till then it had been, been a fantastic game. And I still say to this day, if we, we, we get and play Qatar, we're not losing to Qatar. But anyway, uh, that question what was asked been? by. Sorry, go on. What could have been? That's yeah. life. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, that question was asked by San Solari. Um, so appreciate that, guys. Uh, thanks for asking those questions. Um, we're gonna wrap it up now. Uh, again, Dr. Duncan, I really want. I really appreciate you coming on, taking your time to do the podcast with us. Um, giving us some fantastic insight into the actual national team itself, what happened under Carlos Queiroz, um, and. For those listening, please check out his podcast as well. Uh, thanks again for coming on. Thank you so much. And and I, I must say, it's been an honour being on here. So thank you for having me. But it was just one of the greatest experiences of my life to work for the Iran national team and uh, and and for Carlos and, and his staff and the players. So I always – it has a very, very great place in my heart. So thank you. Fantastic, really appreciate that. Uh, for for those of you listening, uh, just in case you didn't know, we've just recently opened up a new channel on YouTube. You can subscribe to that. Uh, we're also available on, on um, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook on social media. Um, and also you can subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes and Google Podcasts. We'll have a podcast coming out soon in the next, I would say, fortnight. Uh, and we'll discuss everything about the national team, PGPL. So stay uh, stay in tune with that. We'll be be back soon. Thanks very much for listening, and bye bye.